0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you to open your word and worship through the teaching. We ask that you help us to hear what you'd have us to hear and to speak what we were to speak, and just that you will guide and lead. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to, for the next three weeks, temporarily leave Ephesians. And right now, today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 21. And this is... uh, The triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and uh, we said uh, before, a little over 25 percent of all the Gospels is about the last week of Jesus' life. So we want to kind of just look at that. We're going to spend a little time as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday, looking at a little couple of events in his life before this. So this is the first thing that happens in that week before in in Matthew 21. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were coming to Bethany again, unto the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, say to them, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell you the daughters the daughter of Saint Zion, behold, the king comes unto you, meek and sitting upon a donkey, and a colt of and a colt of the foal of a, of a donkey. And the disciples went to dig as Jesus commanded them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and put them on them their clothes, and set them thereon. And a great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees, and drew them across the way. And in the multitude that went before them and followed, crying, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is known for many of you as Palm Sunday. Uh, It's the week before Jesus was crucified and rose again. And it's kind of an interesting story because Jesus sends his disciples and says, you're going to go find a donkey. Uh, You're going to go into town. You're going to find a donkey and 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 a colt and bring them to me. And he tells them, if anybody asks, tell them the Lord has need of them. Now, Matthew doesn't go into it, but in Luke, it tells us that somebody did ask. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, what are you taking these for? And they answered, the Lord has need for them, and they sent them. You know, little little short sure prophecy, but it's you know, very quickly fulfilled. But Jesus knew what was there and knew how they were going to react. And then we look at this, Little thing that says that you might be fulfilled that this prophet has spoken. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, you all, Paul, I'm not going to ask you to turn there because it's hard to find in these small books for most people. But in Zechariah, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king comes unto you, and he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey and upon the colt of a foal of a donkey. And this was told 500 years <laughs> before its fulfillment. Just a, just a little time. <laughs> that the king would be riding into town on a donkey. Now for most of us, that probably doesn't mean anything. But I'm going to tell you a little bit of history about this. When a king rode into a town, he had two choices. He rode in on town on a white horse. And that meant that he was a conqueror. He had conquered the town and he was coming in with all the authority of a conquering king. If the if the town basically sued for peace and allowed him to come in in peace, he would come in on a donkey. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem as the savior, as welcomed and expected. He came in as their savior, the king of peace, the king of. Joy. He was going to come in and be the Savior, which is what Hosanna means. Hosanna means save now. The people were pr- cr- crying in for him and they were saying, save now. Now they didn't have the right salvation in mind because the Jews, and we've talked about this, the Jews had this expectation of the Messiah coming and setting up his kingdom on this earth, and it was going to be the center of all worship and all the kingdoms of all the world. So when the Jews were seeing their Messiah come, they were going, all right, now we're going to get rid of Rome, and we're going to set up the kingdom. We're going to be in our rightful place, the center of the world. Just like their map shows, Jerusalem is in the center of the map of, the, of their world maps. Jerusalem sits in the center. Just like we in America have America sitting in the center, we think we're important. <laughs> but in their case, God says, you are going to be the center. All through the scriptures it talks about the Messiah coming and setting up his kingdom. It's gonna happen. But when he comes back the next time, how does he come back according to Revelation? Chapter 19, he comes on a white horse as the conquering king for the whole world and sets up his headquarters and his capital in Jerusalem. The Jews have it right but they have the wrong time. This is one of the reasons the Jews even to this day do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah because he did not fulfill all the role of the Messiah that they they expected and this is something we have to be careful of as Christians how often do we expect God to do things the way we think he should we read the scriptures and we say God this is this is how I read it we need to be careful and figure out what God's doing and and join him what he's doing not try to tell God come and join us we too we often do this God, I, I think this is a really good idea. I think we should be doing this. And God's over there saying, well, why don't you come over here and help me with what I'm doing instead of trying to do what you want. And we as humans do this a lot. I've done it many times in my life. God, I'm over here. Aren't you going to bless what I'm doing? And God says, I'm over here. Come and join me if you want the blessing. And we have to be careful of that as, as a church and as individuals. We can get so excited about what we think is important. We've just got to do these things. And believe me, I've I've been there where people go, well, the church should be doing this. I'm going, great idea. If God's calling you to do it, let's help you get it started. If God's not calling you, then we're not going to do it. Because there are probably millions of things we could do as a church if we wanted to and if we had unlimited money. Unfortunately, we don't have enough people and we don't have unlimited money to do everything. There's lots of things I would like to see our church doing. And maybe someday in the future, God is going to say, yes, this is what we're going to do. Until then, we're going to do what it seems that he's allowing us to do. And there's a lot of things we're doing. We've got the internet ministry going on, which is touching, as we said last week, 1,600 people last month clicked into messages. You know, that's how many more times the people we have here in Chloride? <laughs> yeah, just a few, <laughs> a bunch more than we have in Chloride are being touched somewhere in the world. We've got the evangelistic things we're doing. We get involved with the parade in, in, in uh, Old Miner's Day and give out all the tracts and the, and, the, and the gifts and stuff and the Bibles, the New Testaments. We do a lot of different things. Are we doing everything we'd like to do? No. <laughs> will God bless us and give us an opportunity to do other things? Absolutely, at some point, he will. It's amazing how much more we can do today than we could three years ago both in people and in finances. God is blessing. He is running as king and we're honoring him. Here the people were saying, save now. Save now. And it's kind of interesting when we look at this story because there are two different attitudes. We have the attitudes of the people welcoming the king. <laughs> welcoming the king. Not that they fully understood what they were doing, but they welcomed the king. And this was a fulfillment of scripture, as we said in, in Zechariah, it said that he would come and he would be welcomed. And this is, you know, this idea of throwing their clothes, clothes down and stuff. This happened in, in Second Kings when jo, uh, Joash became king. They threw down their cloaks as he walked down the street. Now, I have no significance what it's all about, but that's what they did. And they're doing this for Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem. And yelling, save now, save now. And then we look at in, in Luke chapter 19, Luke gives us the same. The same message of the of this, and this is the one one of the very few stories that is in all four gospels, is the triumphant entry of Jesus in, as king. And I just want to read one portion out of this, uh, starting in verse 38. And some of the uh, and Blessed is the King to come in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, is what the people were saying. And some of the Pharisees, which were among the multitude, said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Very different opinion from the establishment people, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were happy being under Rome because they had their power, they had their authority, they were still in control. It wasn't it an wasn't Israeli led country, but they were happy, they had authority, and they were going. Jesus, make these people be quiet. We don't need riot. We don't need trouble from Rome. Because all through this time period, many different people had risen up to try to throw Rome out of Israel. Yeah, you know, the, the one that we know most of is the Maccabean Rebellion, which leads, leads into the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah, where they, the Maccabean priesthood and everything rose up against Rome and actually were fairly successful for a short period of time. <laughs> until they were totally exterminated but they had a miracle that God gave them which was there was not enough oil to keep the menorah in the temple on for more than a day and it took time to make more oil and God let it burn for seven days and that was one of those miracles and so there have been many rebellions against the Romans Pilate is in, in, in Jerusalem because he is a military leader But he has also caused some of these (laughs) rebellions because he is too harsh on them as a military leader. So the last thing Pilate is going to want is a revolt. (laughs) And this leads into why did he do what he did at the court trial of Jesus? Because he wanted to keep peace. And we're gonna talk more about that next week. But this whole idea, we've got a tension building up. Jesus is coming in, he's being declared king. Now, if you can think about that, you've already got a king. You've got Pilate sitting there. He's not technically king. He's governor, but he is representing the king or Caesar. And the last thing he wants is a king rising up in Israel. The last thing that the Pharisees want is a king rising up in Israel. They're happy with their position. They're happy with their authority. They're happy with what government they've worked out with Rome. As a matter of fact, the Jews had invited Rome. When Rome came in, they came in as a gentle conqueror, and they were able to keep their religion, which was very unusual in the Roman Empire. When they came in, they conquered, and they said, you are going to get rid of whatever you were already doing. But because they were in, basically surrendered to, <laughs> they came in kindly and said, okay, you can keep your religion as long as you keep it under control. And here Jesus coming in. If he is really truly the Messiah, there's trouble ahead as far as the scribes and Pharisees are concerned. Because you're not going to raise up a king and not have trouble with Rome. And Rome has already done a lot of crazy things with them and, and exterminated a lot of people. And Jesus is coming in and the people are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, king of, the son of David. We also don't understand when they said "Son of David," they were saying, "This is a king. (laughs) This is the king," because that was the title that he had. The Son of David was going to be the Messiah, and they knew that the Messiah would set up a kingdom. You would have thought that the scribes and Pharisees would have been all happy. Okay, we're going to throw Rome off. We're going to be the center of the world's uh, economics and government. But as is normally the case with it doesn't matter if a good leader is going to rise up or not. People do not like to give up what authority they have. And it's not just in government. We see it in businesses. We see it in, in all kinds of organizations. <laughs> you might have a better leader being on the rise, and, but the current leadership is not going to let go, usually, because they enjoy being in charge. And this is something that God is bringing out to us. You know, when we are God's leaders, if you're called to lead in any way a teacher, pastor, whatever it might be, be humble enough to say that if God brings somebody else in, he's got something else for you. I used to love telling people go, Well, I think I could do your job as well as you do, I go, good, you can do my job, I'll go find something else to do. <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to fight them. If they thought they could do the job better than I could and God was calling them to do it. I can tell you right now, there's probably a hundred other jobs in a church that can be done. Even in one this size, there's other things that can be done and started. So if somebody thinks they're capable of doing something and God's called them to do it, praise God. Yeah. I I know that. I mean, I know that I'm fairly good at what I do. But there's always better, there's always somebody better at doing what you do. Always, always somebody better. No matter how good you think you are or how good you are. You know, it may not just be your own thinking. You may be good at it, but there's always going to be somebody who's better at it. That is the whole key to this. Jesus is coming in. He's coming in as king. He's fulfilling in, I'm going to read this one in in Psalm 118, starting in verse 20. This gate of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter, I I will praise you, for you have heard me, and art my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. And the Lord's doing it is marvellous in our eyes. In that this is the day which the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech you, O Lord! I beseech you, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Jesus said, "This was his." Their blessing him was a fulfilment. <laughs> Of that, he said, "If they were quiet, the stones would cry out." Could you imagine the stones crying out in in praise of God? That would be scary. <laughs> it would be kind of scary, but it would be interesting. be interesting. It would be interesting. God says that all of creation praises Him. Now, which to us is kind of a strange thought too. All of creation praises Him. All of creation shows forth His majesty as Creator. And when we look at this, this is true. I can't look at anything that's created without seeing the hand of God because I understand how intricately related it is how perfectly created man is in our body all the way down to the cellular level that is created in such a way that without any it could never have been evolved as the science doesn't want to tell us because you need every single part of the cell to have a cell that's living and they all have to be there at the same time without with any one part missing the whole cell would not function and then we have scientists wanting to tell us that this happened accidentally <laughs> that all these things accidentally all converged at the same exact moment <laughs> to create a living cell you know, I don't wouldn't, I wouldn't think the, the greatest gambler would bet on those kind of odds <laughs> of something like that happening it would be easier to reshuffle a deck of cards back into order that they started at than for, their, for a cell to come together randomly. And if anybody's played cards, you know you're never gonna shuffle that deck of cards back into order. Though theoretically, the odds are uh, one in 152, t- uh, the 10th uh, power to 152nd power. <laughs> uh, just, a, just a very high odds for that to happen. And the cell is much more complex than the 52 deck, deck of cards being reshuffled in order, randomly. God's creation declares Him. Now, little little facts like you know the body when you go, when you go into a fat, uh, starvation mode, the body actually saves back the fat content and destroys the lean first. Which is why you can't lose weight by starving yourself to death. You lose your muscle tone. And then when the body's convinced it's a long-term fast, you're not just a long-term problem, it'll start using up the fat reserve. Yeah. But God did it on purpose, that if you had a year of, of famine or two years of famine, your body wouldn't totally waste itself away. God does miraculous things. The ecosystem, which we found out oftentimes, if you introduce any kind of plant or animal that doesn't have predators... You mess up the economics the, the ecological system in that area until somehow a predator comes along <laughs> where well, you reintroduce a predator which then still messes it up God's got a perfectly balanced world that he created not by accident <laughs> and Jesus was that creator and now he, he's coming in and the people are worshiping him And he says, hey, if these people were silent, my creation would worship me anyway. We want to get to that point where we understand. We need to be opening our mouths and sharing the gospel with people, sharing God's truth. We need to really think about this, because anybody who isn't saved is going to hell. And we as Christians have to grab hold of that truth. If they do not accept Jesus Christ, they're headed to hell. And I bring this out to us: is How many, how many of us have relatives that we have not shared the gospel with that aren't going to heaven because they no, they don't know Jesus? How many of us have friends that we're afraid to share the gospel with because they, they might not, they might get mad at us and not be a friend anymore? Well, you know what? That's a pretty sad place to say. Well, I don't want them to be mad at me on earth, but I'll let them be mad at me for eternity in hell because I didn't share the gospel. We need to see the seriousness of sharing the gospel and share it with people, especially family and friends that we, want, that we hope, that I would hope that you want to see for eternity. You know, but if they die without knowing Christ, they're going to have an eternity in hell. And they're going to I really do believe I heard a message one time and I believe it's probably true on the white throne they may look at us and say why didn't you tell me you knew this was coming and you didn't tell me and they have every right to even if they don't they have the right to turn to us and say you didn't share it if you didn't important the gospel message Jesus came into Jerusalem John tells us as he was coming into Jerusalem that he wept because he knew how many people were going to be lost in that city because of what they were going to do to him. Jesus didn't weep because of what he was going to go through. He came to this world knowing what he was going to have to do. He wept at all the people that were going to reject him. And for us as Christians, do we weep over those our family members and friends that reject Christ? Hopefully we do. Hopefully we go into prayer and we ask God, please bring somebody else. My words weren't enough, bring somebody else in. It's important. Hopefully if you've got lost family, you're praying for them. Hopefully you're praying for them. It may take decades for them to come to Christ. It may only take weeks, days. Some, but unfortunately for some, it takes decades. And I've been around long enough, I've seen many people who've come to church their entire life and come close to their death And realize that they don't know Jesus there's hundreds of stories that I've heard where people have come in their 70s and 80s having gone to church all their life and all of a sudden realize they never knew Jesus and we hope nobody in this church is in that place but only you know that do you truly know Jesus have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior do you have you recognized your sin that you are a sinner you deserve punishment and know that Jesus is the only way to be forgiven repent of your sins and say I'm sorry for what I've done I deserve punishment and accept him that's all it takes it's not hard matter of fact it's so easy people will reject it because they think it's too easy just to take a gift from God and be saved for eternity and and get grace and I've had people tell me when I've shared that, goes, "Well, it's too easy. I have got to do something." Well, remember this day. You know, that you were told, you were told that it's a simple gift. Jesus came because we could not save ourselves. He took all the punishment that we deserve. He paid for sin, and He's saying, "Here's a gift. Take the gift." the simple illustration is if somebody was to hand you a gift, is it your gift until you'd accept it? Well, it's yours, but if you don't take it, it's really not yours, is it? They could hold out, here, this is your gift, I'm giving it to you. And if you don't take it, it really isn't yours, is it? They mean it to be yours, if you know, they want it to be yours, but if you don't accept it, it's not yours. God holds out the gift of salvation. And he says, just take this gift, accept this gift. He's come in, Jesus came into Jerusalem as king knowing that in, seven day, in well, four days later he was going to be crucified for our, for our sins. That's the whole reason he came. And it's amazing, he kept telling the disciples, I'm going to, be, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die, I'm going to, to pay for your sins, and he kept telling them over and over and over and over again. And they never really heard him. Because just like these people at the gates of Jerusalem, here's the Messiah. He's going to throw out Rome and we're going to be the center of the world. They didn't understand that he had to die and that he would come later on as the conqueror after Satan had had plenty of opportunity to try to destroy. We want to encourage you. If you don't know Christ, accept him now. If you know family members that don't know Christ, share Christ with them. Share Christ with them. What's the worst they can do is get mad at you and not talk to you. But you know, it's better that they not talk to you here on this earth than be able to blame you for not sharing for eternity. It's gonna be a serious, this is a serious message. Share the gospel with people. If you don't know how to share it, do the best you can. We've shared it enough here, it's simple. You are a sinner, you deserve punishment. Jesus came and paid for all that punishment. Accept those things and ask him to come into your heart and he will make you a new creation. anybody can share that message, will you be able to answer every single question they might ask you? No, but as I've said, so what? Because That's the best thing that can happen. It gives you a second time to talk to them. I don't know that answer, let me go get an answer for you and I'll come back and I'll talk to you tomorrow, two days from now, next week, whatever it is, and I'll give you, get you that answer. You get a time to tell them the gospel. Yeah. Everybody's fear is getting asked a question they can't answer. I really want to stress to you, that's the greatest thing that can happen to you, aside from them accepting Christ at that moment. So, so it's the second best thing that can happen to you. Yeah. They ask a question, you don't know the answer. I'm going to go find that answer. <laughs> go find the answer and go back and tell them. And you get a chance to tell the gospel all over again with the answer in place. But we want to be able to be bold. And you know what? Oftentimes the Holy Spirit's going to give you the answer anyway. We worry about it. We think about it. We go, how can I answer this? I can tell you many times when I've been witnessing, I've answered questions I didn't even know I knew the answer to. <laughs> And know that they were the right answer because the witness was there that it was biblical and correct. God can still give you the answer even if you don't know that you know the answer. Because he told the disciples, don't worry about what you will say when you stand before the leaders. The spirit will fill your mouth. And like I said, if you come, like come to something you don't know the answer, then just say, fine, I don't know the answer, but I would love to get you the answer and give it to you tomorrow or next week or however long you can get to it be bold. Be bold. It is time for us to stand up for Christ and get the revival in this world. We need to be praying for the revival. We need to be praying for revival in this town. And see people get saved. And be able to turn this this town upside down. Then turn the county upside down. Then maybe get the state turned upside down and maybe we'll get really lucky and have a third great awakening in America and turn the United States upside down I don't hold much hope out for that because I think we're close enough to the end times that I don't have a whole lot of hope for that but that is a great prayer I'd love to see it happen because God is in the miracle business he wants to see people committed the whole reason we are here as Christians on this world is to share the gospel because if he didn't need us here in the gospel, he'd just take us straight to heaven because there would no need to be here. Our job is to go and make disciples. And that starts with giving them the gospel. And then it works into teaching them how to walk, the Christian walk, how to grow in the Christian walk. And we just want to see God move in a great way. I want to see God move in a great way and I want to see us do it. My job as a pastor is to help equip us to go out. To bring those people that we teach in so they can be equipped to go out. So my job is easy, but my job is also to go out and share the gospel as well to the people that I encounter. So we want to do this. We want to get out there and do our job. <laughs> go out there and do the job that we have because eternity is at stake. If we keep our mouth shut, then we're hurting the person for all of eternity. Now God can bring another person along. He's, they're going to hear the gospel. When he, he says that when they stand before the white right throne judgment, every single person they will have heard and will not be innocent, and they will know it. And God will show them the times that they were shown through nature, through people speaking. God will give them the message they need to hear. But it doesn't take us off the hook before God. God's going to say, why didn't you? you know, when we stand before him at the Beeman's seat, he's going to say, if you had just shared the gospel with this person, here's the rewards you would have gotten. He's looking for what to reward us, but he's also going to show us how many rewards we lost. Can you imagine the rewards for the person who led Billy Graham to the Lord? It's said that that person didn't lead anybody else to the Lord in his entire lifetime, but he led the most important one to the Lord. It's very amazing. We don't know who we're touching. We don't know. We may think that we've been a failure on who we've taught, but who knows that we may evangelize somebody and bring somebody to Christ who's the one that gets the next Billy Graham saved. And we have a link in that chain where God says, here's your reward. Here's the millions you've touched because you had an impact on this person's life. We don't know. But even if it's only one soul in heaven because of what we say or do, that's an eternal reward. An eternal reward. I've talked about this with our website. Who knows who we're reaching out there? We're reaching lots of people. Who are they reaching because they take the message that they're hearing that this church pays for putting out there? You give me the privilege of actually speaking the words, but this church pays for keeping it up there. Who knows what rewards are out there. When we get to heaven and somebody will come up to you and say, I'm here because (laughs) you supported (laughs) the church. that put that webpage on there and I got saved. We don't know what's out there. And that's the beauty of the spiritual world. Our rewards are out there. And who knows what the rewards are going to be. But we need to stand with God. We need to step forward and share. We need to step forward and evangelize and give the gospel out. And we really need to start with our families and friends because they're the ones you're going to miss in heaven if they're not there, as far as we can miss. And God's going to wipe the tear out of our eyes, but I think there's going to be a time when we're going to look and say, it's my fault they're not there. Get that out of the way. <laughs> uh, we won't remember them necessarily, but I think there will be a point in time in heaven where we will know that they're missing because we didn't open our mouth. Now, if we've opened our mouth and they've rejected, then we're, we're free because we're not responsible for how people respond. And this is something we've got to remember when we're out evangelizing. I am not responsible for their yes or no. I'm just responsible to, to give the message. And I hope that will free you up to say, I shared it and they rejected it okay you've done your job maybe God will ask you to share again who knows but one time you have shared with them they've heard the gospel they can't come back and say I never heard I'm not here and you didn't do your job we need to be able to share that message with people let's close Lord, we just thank you for this day Lord if there is anybody in this room that has not asked you or listening on on the web that does not know you we ask that they recognize and they will admit that they are a sinner, that they deserve that punishment and they accept your free gift. And then seek to be discipled by somebody. Lord, if there's anybody here that has done that, we ask that they will come and talk to me. If there's anybody on the net, they can email us and tell us about that. And Lord, we just thank you for your love and your care. We thank you that you are the Messiah, that you came down to this earth to pay the price that we couldn't pay so that we could be accepted by God into heaven. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen.